I'm Junior Francis on this eternally glorious Sunday, April the 25th. It's the 13th edition of the one-on-one -on -one session. I'm waiting for my guests to join us. Again, this is the 13th episode of the History of LA's Cast Session One-on-One. -on -one. First and foremost, I want to say a big thank you to producer Eric Kohler, producer and friend Eric Kohler. Uh, today's guest is British singer, songwriter, musician, DJ, and beloved two-tone icon, Rhoda Dakar. Rhoda was lead singer for the Body Snatchers. Now, talking about a stage name that I really and truly love, and she's going to tell us all about the stage name and how that came about. Additionally, she has worked with the specials, special AKA. She has remained active over the years, including releasing her own music and has a rendition of Every Day is like Sunday. Uh, so we'll be welcoming Rhoda momentarily. But I want to take a moment to remind you that um, our next guest will be on the 25th. It's a Sunday. The King of Skia, Mr. Derek Morgan, who celebrated his birthday yesterday. As I noticed, we have been joined by the elegant and ever so distinguished Rhoda. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yes, can I've you hear me? Uh, yeah, man. Yes, you're looking fabulous. Thank you. I've had my dinner, so I'm happy. Uh, uh, oh, you got your dinner? Yeah, I've had my dinner. Yeah, it's oh, but, nine o'clock here, isn't it? So. I was thinking that that's late for dinner, man. But you work out a lot, so. Oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's just that we're kind of, we kind of have operated on French hours. So we have, our, we, we've always eaten late. We don't eat, we, I've never eaten early in my life, really. And what is considered early? Well, early is probably six, six thirty, but mm. that to me would be high tea rather than dinner. So dinner for me should be eight. Mm -hmm. All he right. Gets too hungry for dinner at eight. Remember, that's uh, the lady is a tramp. <laughs> because I was thinking to eat eight o'clock. That that's um, kind of late for me. But in any in any case, mm. it's neither yeah, here nor there. LA is an early town, though, isn't it? Okay, uh, do you need? Do I need more light? Is it all right? I can put uh, another light on if you like. I guess, uh, you're looking fabulous. Oh yeah, that makes a little different now. Difference, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Let there be light, a... Rhoda. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got a choice. Anyway, uh -huh. I'll, I'll take it down a bit so it's a bit light. There uh, you go. Is that all right? Yeah, man, the magic of technology. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so, just, yeah, so, Rhoda, where were you born and raised? I was born in uh, Hampstead, North London. Well, Belsize Park, to be more precise, North London. Um, and I was, and I moved to Brixton when I was just before my fourth birthday. So I was raised really in Brixton in South London. Oh, okay, because I thought... You were a very wealthy part of town. You were born, but you wasn't raised there. Yeah, I was born in a. I was born in in my auntie's house in uh, in Belsize Park. Well, I say auntie. She was my dad's first wife, but you know, they didn't tell me that for a long time. But anyway, we lived there. <laughs> I know. I know. Family. What are they like? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that's where I. That's where I was born, and then because my family moved out of Notting Hill um, just before I was born because there were race riots and they didn't really want to be living there, understandably, mm. you know. Right, because they're mixed. Your parents are mixed, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. 
Right. And so tell us about your Jamaican roots, uh, Jamaican parentage. Well, my dad was born in Panama, not Jamaica. Um, mm. He was born in um, Monkey Hill, which is now part of Colon, uh, because my granddad um, was working on the on the Panama Canal, as lots of Jamaicans did. So lots of Jamaicans went to Panama and worked on the uh, the Panama Canal. So my dad and I think uh, nine, is it nine? Yeah, maybe eight, maybe eight of his siblings were born in, in Colon. And then my one, my uncle Eggie, was born in Jamaica. I don't know how that happened. I, you know, I have no explanation, but he's older than my dad. So obviously there was some traveling back and forth. He was born in Jamaica, but all the others were born in, in Panama. And there was one who was adopted and I don't know where he was born. Right. And uh, during your early stages, your growth, uh, as early as you can possibly remember, what sort of music were you exposed to? Um, I was exposed to jazz mm -hmm. because my dad only believed in jazz. He didn't believe in any other type of music. Because if you said to him, what, what sort of music do you like, Dad? He would say, jazz naturally. And there would be no other answer. So you could ask him till you were blue in the face. He would say, do you like that? Jazz. You know, so he only believed in jazz. Right. So he didn't listen to anything else? No. Mm -hmm. so, even, <laughs> <laughs> so even when Skia became very popular and took hold of London and the UK, he still wasn't... Um, yeah, but no, my dad, my dad was born in 1897, right? Mm -hmm. So he, uh, he wasn't part of the Windrush. He came to London long before that. He fought in the First World War. Um, he lived in Paris during the 20s and 30s. So he was very much part of the jazz age. He, mm -hmm. he was friends with Josephine Baker. He was friends with Louis Armstrong. And I know he was friends with Louis Armstrong because my mum said that um, they went to see him play in London. And she said she didn't really believe that my dad knew him um, until he introduced her to him. <laughs> she said, oh, I had to believe it then. So how, is yeah. it, how was it possible for your dad to meet these, I guess, famous people? How was it possible? Be because he was a singer. In oh, that, we didn't, you didn't explain that. Oh, oh he was a singer, was professional yeah, yeah. singer. He was, he was a singer in Paris in the 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah, then he got to meet all his people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. He was also socially and politically conscious, right? My dad. Uh... Well, there's some level of consciousness for him to take on uh, uh, Dakar. It's, it's not a, 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 oh, yeah. A... Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. I hey, mean... A lot of people. Go ahead. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as socially conscious. He, he thought, um, he decided that our family uh, came from Senegal. So, um, because there is a, there is like a, you know, what they call the tribal mark, there's kind of a resemblance. And um, so he, he, and because I've been stopped on the on the tube in London and people have said, you know, people said, have spoken to me in French and said, are you from Senegal? And it's like, no, I'm not from Senegal. But there's a tribe in Senegal called the Pearl. And we look like them very much. I mean, I've never done my DNA thing. I probably should. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a, a tribe. Uh, the tribe extends around a lot of West Africa. It's also called Fulani in Nigeria. 
but my dad decided we were from Senegal. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose because he lived in Paris for so long, he met a lot of him, him. Well, I don't know. I'm assuming he met Senegalese people in Paris. Mm. Um, but that's what that, he decided where we were from. So he his uh, when he was acting because he did he um, acted as well. When he was acting, he called himself um, Andre Dakar. Um, so, but it was never officially part of his name. But when I was born, he registered me as Evans, which is the the Jamaican family name, Evans de Dakar. So that's my that's my passport name. Mm -hmm. Well, interestingly enough, you would say that because prior to the Black Liberation Movement and the Rasta Movement, people in Jamaica, a lot of them thought they were British. <laughs> England was the mother home, so your dad was enlightened. Trust me on that. <laughs> well, he left. I mean, yeah, but to be fair, he went to fight for Britain in, in well, I always thought it was France, actually, but I'm told that his regiment fought in Syria because he... He always, on the very rare occasions he talked about the First World War, he would talk about slash them off, cut them off at the knees. So he he fought with swords. He didn't have a he didn't have a gun. He had a sword. And the only place that people fought like that was in Syria. That was the British West Indies Regiment. And um, uh, was he know, drafted or he voluntarily joined the army? Oh, he volunteered. He volunteered. Oh. Yeah, I mean, because he was like, I mean, he couldn't have been he must have still been a teenager when he went. So even if it was like 18, 19, he, he must have been a teenager. Mm -hmm. And he went off and, um, and then when he finally got back to Jamaica, I don't think it really suited him. He, he came back to Europe, you know, he wanted to be somewhere else, so. Mm -hmm. Right, so by and large, uh, in the early stages, you were exposed to one music and one only jazz. Yeah, jazz, there is only jazz, but, I mean, you say that, but I mean, you know, obviously there's television, so you have pop music. Mm -hmm. um, in Brixton, there was, you know, there was reggae coming out of, well, in those early, early days, Scar. And I lived opposite a club called the Ram Jam Club, where people from Otis, like Otis Redding played there. Um, I think Nina Simone played there, all kinds of people. And, and back in those days, so the early 60s, um, they didn't have... They didn't have air conditioning. They just used to open the windows, so you could hear you could hear the music. You know, I mean, that was the air conditioning. Oh, no, the windows open, so you heard the music. But um, yeah, there would be scar artists played there. But no, my dad, my dad wasn't really. I mean, he had been in the great jazz age in in Paris with some of the greatest artists that jazz produced at that. You know, the, from from its grand era. He didn't believe in anything else. I understand why, um, well, to a certain extent. But I mean, that was his, that was his great love and, and, you know, his great focus. Mm -hmm. He made any records? Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, he made, he, he, I did have one. I don't know where it is now, actually. It's called, um, it was called My Little Lulu. Um, and I think it was John Brown and his boys, uh, but he, yeah, he he um, he wrote the lyrics because he used to write lyrics and he used to translate from French or into French, whatever was necessary. Right. Um, yeah, this song, My Little Lulu, was uh, his wife at the time, whose house I was born in. 
and her name was uh, Germaine Louis. So he used to call her Lulu. She was known as Lulu. And mm. that was the song he wrote, My Little Lulu. Right. I'd be remiss not to ask about your mom. Sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. Mom. You know, oh, my mom. I'm really... <laughs> not me. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. My mom's from Bristol. I'm, I'm Jamaican. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, my mum's from Bristol. Um, she's a white woman from Bristol. Her family moved to London during the Second World War, I think. Why that would be, I don't know. But, I mean, anyway. Um, yeah, so she met my dad because he had a nightclub in London during the war. And she used to go to his nightclub. So that's where she met him. Brothers and sisters? Um, I've, you. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> if you're half Jamaican, you've got loads, haven't you? I've got, Especially I've with got, your famous father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got one full brother, one, uh, half, one half brother, mm -hmm. um, and one half sister that I know of. Mm -hmm. So I don't know of any more. Right. But that's you, just because I don't I, know. And and you produce two uh, two kids I of your own, right? I have two children. Yeah, I have two children. Right. And what was your relationship with your dad like? Um, I liked him very much, and I don't mean that in a you know because obviously you love your parents, but I liked him very much. He was a very nice man. Mm -hmm. He was he was very easy to get on with. He was very charming. Um, he was quite funny. And what I liked about him is that he encouraged, um, he encouraged us, at, uh, well, and me, definitely, to argue. He wouldn't just, you know, because, like, if you're Jamaican, you don't just put up with stuff. So he would, he, I mean, plus he lived in France, so it made him doubly argumentative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would be like, you people, you just put up with anything I can't understand. So if you, you know, if you had an opinion, you had to voice it. And he had this thing where he used to read the New Testament every night and then come out with some Old Testament say, saying, because I went to two church schools, I knew my stuff. And I'd be saying, no, that's not New Testament. <laughs> Just be reading the New Testament. And you're calling, you're, you're talking Old Testament nonsense, Dad. And you say, no, no. I said, Dad, that's rubbish. You know, it's rubbish. It's not the Old Testament. It's, it's the Old Testament. Either you believe in this or you believe in that. Make up your mind, you know, so... And he encouraged that. He thought it was <laughs> funny. He would just laugh. If you caught him out, he would just laugh. <laughs> and he taught me to play cards and drink coffee. You know, wow. Was... Mm -hmm. No red stripe, though. You were too young. <laughs> no, he didn't drink. Eh, wow. That's... No, no. He, he'd had a vodka and orange back in 1940, but nobody could really remember anything after that. He maybe had a baby sham at Christmas. That would be the lot, which is some sort of champagne mm -hmm. thing. And he was before ganja, right? No smoking either. Well, I mean, I don't think Gan I don't think Ganja just appeared in Jamaica <laughs> for a while. Um, yeah, he didn't believe in Rastas. No, mm -hmm. he didn't believe in Rastas. He 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 knew Marcus Garvey, and he wasn't a fan. <laughs> ah, of Garvey. Mm. No, no, and it, uh, he wasn't a fan. And he also met um, Haile Selassie, and he didn't like him either. You're kidding. He met all those people. Well, he he sang at a, a royal garden party, and Haile Selassie was a was a guest, so he met him. Your, your dad got around, man. Oh, I told you he was charming. He yeah. could talk his way into anywhere, anything. He met all. He knew all kinds of people. Met all kinds of people. I have friends who I knew when I was a teenager. I mean, I still know them now, but I, we met when we were teenagers. 
And because we never, you never tell anyone your surname, particularly when you're a teenager. So I didn't know that their dad was um, a famous painter. Um, so, uh, and he and my dad were friends back in the day, but neither of us, I didn't know that. Uh, and I didn't see them for years because when you have kids, you don't see each other for years and then you meet up again. Oh, God, my dad knew your dad. No, really? Yeah, apparently he painted the walls in his club. I mean, you know, and that was um, that was Lucian Freud. Wow. So he knew all kinds of people. Yeah. He knew, he knew all kinds of people. You're not kidding. So when did you start singing and performing? At what age? Nine. To know. So that's really young. So you got a lot yeah. of encouragement from dad and mom? Not particularly, no. I had to, I had to beg them to, to go to dance lessons. Well, I had to beg my mum because it wasn't really my dad's decision. Um, so I had to beg my mum and my mum finally said yes after about a year. And she let me go to dance classes. So I did my first public performance in 1969. Right. So describe the music scene in England uh, on or about that time when you started... I don't know. I was, I was not. I was hey, what music? What, what, what songs were being played on the radio? Like when your parents um, drive around. Well, it would be it, um, on the radio. It would be the Monkees, probably, and the Beatles. Um, and oh, at '69 as well, they start to play Desmond Decker on the radio as well. Um, but round, I mean. You know, we knew about reggae because it was around us all the time. And when I was at primary school, this there was a kid, there was the one cool kid called um, called Winston, and Winston Marshall. And he his mum used to dress him like a baby skinhead, so he had like a short hair with a with like a um, a parting cut into it. And so Ben Sherman. Evidently, his parents were right. Were well, he was. I mean, he was what? He was ten. So it wasn't his choice to dress like that. That's how That's his, what parents I'm saying. his parents dressed him. I, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. His parents. Yeah, his parents would have been rude boys or skin mm. or skinheads or something. But anyway, I mean, he's a black, you know, he's a black kid, like fully properly Jamaican. Oh no! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Winston Marshall. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah the, the Winstons in that in the sixties were were black. They were the it would be ten years before when anybody white was called Winston. They stopped calling white people Winston and it was a black person's name by then. Wow, this is interesting. So his parents were um I guess obviously I'm speculating now, Caribbean, right? I'm I'm guessing I think you could go as far as Jamaican, possibly. Yeah, his right. parents were Jamaican. Yeah. But he used to come to school in, in like Levi's, monkey boots, um braces, Ben Sherman. And he taught us how to do skinhead dancing because we didn't know. I, mean, I didn't know. There was only jazz in my house. I didn't know about skinhead dancing. So I guess my, my, my perception is this was started by white kids. I guess it's all wrong. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps they were involved. Uh, I'm not sure about this, how it all got started. But I didn't know that well, black kids were involved. Well, I mean, the root, the root boys were black and the root boys mixed with the mods. So they, they came up with this thing called hard mod and mm. then it kind of went on to Skinner. But I mean, that was just, it was fashion. That was the fashion. Mm. And Winston Marshall was the most, was the coolest, most fashionable kid in the school. So everybody just did what he did. Wow. Which takes me up to the, uh, the formation of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. I thought that's one of the most amazing stage names, but 
tell us about the group, how the formation. <laughs> 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 We were called the Body Snatchers. Well, it was around the time... Uh, the so people film... didn't call you guys that. The group, right? That's the name that you guys gave to the group, right? Yeah, well, it's what we... Well, yeah, we decided what we were going to be called. It wasn't mm -hmm. anyone else's idea. Um, now, there was, a, the new, the, there was a new version of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the film, out at the time. And uh, it was the name everyone hated the least. Wow. Uh, so that's you why... You all had a vote? Oh, yeah, yeah, we voted, and it was the name everyone hated the least. Mm -hmm. I mean, the names we could have been called. There was a name that was quite popular, but I said, if you call yourselves that, I'm leaving. So, um, you know, we weren't post-feminist then. We couldn't really call ourselves those sort of names. Like, I forget what it was even. It was, um, I think it was Pussy Galore they wanted to call. <laughs> I said, no, but it's James Bond. It's like, yeah, not in the music business it isn't, love. You know, so... I had to say no. It's like no, you can call yourselves that, but without me. So we were the body snatchers, and it was all female. Yeah, no room for guys. No. Mm -hmm. And what was it like being in an all female band at that particular time? I have no idea because it's the only band I was in at that particular time. So I've never been. I was mm. never in a band with men at that time. So I've no idea what that was like. Mm -hmm. I have only my own. You know, I've got nothing else to reference it reference it against mm -hmm. and uh you guys just like the guys would you the all-female lot of rehearsing um yes uh, we would rehearse mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. is, it, is it the same kind of conflict that you would find in an all-male band that you find how, in the all female? How, how would i know that <laughs> we can only speculate <laughs> because no, i'm inclined I'm inclined, I I'm inclined to believe that women uh get along together uh, more so than men. Men is a lot of competition. Men always, there's always one or two guys in a group who want to be the top dog. If they may not be qualified, uh, have no qualification, have no reference, but still want to be the top dog. And I, it seemed to me, I get it again, I have not done any studies, but it just seemed to me that I'm female not. artists <laughs> are less threatened being around each other. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think if you watch. Uh, if you watch young girls, how they interact, and young boys, how they interact, boys fight until they work out who's the leader. And once they've got a leader, then, then they get on fine. Girls cooperate from the outset. So they don't have that who has to, they don't have that leader. There's not that leader mentality. I'm not saying that doesn't exist within, you know, within some women. Um, but it's, it's, you know, women are far more cooperative um in general i would say but this is all generalization you know right so, generalization because we yeah. see if you look at a lot of the reggae bands uh i'm thinking the opposite of what you just uh said that once you work out who is the leader it's never accepted with toots and the meters even though toots had more skills for the sake of this conversation mm. uh bob i mean it's acceptable fact by many but Peter and Bunny didn't accept it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you go on and on and on. So I don't know if it yeah. worked out. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's different. What can I say? It's different. Yeah. I mean, the, the society of women is different to the society of men. Mm -hmm. So how did you meet mem uh, special, uh, the members of the special? Because uh, there were hot stuff at the time, right? 
Yeah, well, mm. Jerry came along to our second gig, so that's mm. how I met Jerry. Jerry came along, Pauline Black came, and um, the selection. Your second gig? Yeah. Wow, and so name that out, that all female band, and the name was. The word, yeah. I mean, word is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was two weeks after our first gig, so I Ooh. guess that's. Yeah, it's long enough for the for the time to for the word to spread, but um, yeah, Pauline Black came, Jerry came, and a woman called um, Juliet Wills, mm -hmm. who was the selector's manager, but is now Billy Bragg's manager. Right, and for so, reference, Pauline is um, Pauline Black, the is... selector. Right, just for the reference, so for yeah. audience, mm -hmm, audience, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So top celebrities in the house. Uh, allegedly, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were supporting. We were supporting the, a band called the Nips, mm. who had um, what genre? Uh, they were kind of bec becoming an R and B band because they started off as a punk band called the Nipple Erectors, and then they became. They started to become an R and B band, and they had a song out called Gabrielle. A they're they're big tune is Gabrielle um, and uh, the lead singer was was um, was Sean oh, on, sorry no Shane sorry Shane McGowan mm. yeah the lead singer was Shane McGowan right so, no you co-wrote uh, The Boiler which I believe was one of the first songs written by the Body Snatchers could you tell us a little bit about uh, that song and the message it's, message, it's a message laden song right oh, it's a message yeah, well, it wasn't written as a message. It was written as a piece of... Now, I'd, I, at the point I joined the Body Snatchers, I had wanted to be an actress and I had worked straight out of school. I got a job in a theatre and I'd worked in the theatre for a couple of years mm -hmm. and realised after a couple of years that I would never play anything other than, than, you know, sort of nurses or prostitutes if I became an actress in the UK at the time. There was no Why is that so? Oh, there was, okay. That was all it was. There, was. there was no other, you know, nurses or prostitutes. I mean, black men could play other roles, but black women were nurses or prostitutes. That was your job. That was what you'd get. And mm. I had been in the Old Vic Youth Theatre. The Old Vic is a very kind of, it had been the seat of the National Theatre and whatever. It was very kind of, you know, old, established, grand establishment. And I'd been in the Youth Theatre. And I'd done Shakespeare on stage at the Old Vic, which is a big deal, you know, in yeah. the youth theatre. And I realised that I would never, ever get to do that if I worked as an actress. I'd never get that chance as an actress because um, those opportunities wouldn't, wouldn't be afforded me. So I went into music um, and uh, I forgot, why was I even going down this road? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. What was I talking uh, about? Oh, the boiler. Yes. So the song, right? So, so when when I was in the Body Snatchers, we were. I didn't know. You know, I had no experience of writing songs. So what I did was I started um, improvising a monologue, and uh, Penny, the keyboard player, started putting. You know, she put a riff behind it, and that's how it came about. So it was improvised every night really i mean it, by the end you kind of know what you're going to say but it was an improvisation right so it's really a collective effort what one mm. guy has a riff and you and another writer oh, oh i see what you mean yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's uh yeah i mean it was sort of a yeah. group effort 
Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, let, look. no, we 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 shared all our royalties, so you know it doesn't ah, matter. Ah, you mean every person in the band? Yeah. Wow, that's unheard yeah. of. No, it isn't. Eh? I think the beat. I think the beat used to do it. Um, Madness had this thing where the person who writes the song gets fifty percent of the royalties, and the rest of the band get the other fifty percent. So, um, you know, that's, I mean, you know, I, I think that's how Madness survive, really, because they know that everybody has a stake in every song that they write. Right. And I'd heard from a professor friend of mine who's extremely critical and also very brilliant. He told me that why he really and truly respected John Lennon so much is because John insisted that um, the drummer and the other guys in the bands were not as prolific writers should always get royalty from their songs. Mm. I, I have not seen that myself, but he really and truly respected John Lennon for that. And he's right. one who's been through the apartheid era. So for him okay. to have that kind of love and respect for John uh, spoke volume. <laughs> well, if, if, I mean, their names aren't on the records, but if they're, get, on, the, if they're on the contracts, then fair enough. Right. If that's well, I think I'm inclined to believe that's true. But I want to remind the viewers that um, this is the 13th episode of the History of Elyskia one-on-one session, and uh, today's guest, since his day here in Los Angeles, night in the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. is British singer-songwriter, musician, DJ, beloved two-tone icon, Rhoda Dakar. Now, if I was really in Jamaica, I'd say Dakar because the A is very broad. Dakar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dakar. Yeah, yes, you would. Yeah, that's the French pronunciation. Right. Anyway. So, Dakar. oh, I see. The A is broad, both in Dakar. both. Mm -hmm, Dakar. Right. right. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So we're in conversation talking about your illustrious and praiseworthy career. We talk about your father and your kids. How about mm -hmm. your kids? Are they into acting and singing? Um. No. My son is a DJ producer. Um, if he unplugged his, head, his headphones, you'd be hearing house music um, any minute because he's been he's he's making music at the moment. Um, mm. My daughter is she she's kind of happier behind the camera. She she takes photographs. She does video for me sometimes. She does. Oh, so they're both son, into the arts. My like son's a... heard his name. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good boy. <laughs> Yeah, all right. <laughs> he's watching apparently. Oh, so, nice, nice. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm glad he's. Um, <laughs> and my daughter, my daughter is. Uh, she sort of takes photographs. She does video. Um, and she, well, she used to play rugby. I don't know what she's. I don't know. In see, before lockdown, she was doing. She was working for a rugby club. What she'll do after lockdown, I don't know. <laughs> so we'll say. Right. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what she does. So we did mention uh, briefly. This, your connection with um, specialists. I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more details about uh, how you met them. Uh, not just the one member and also the two-tone when you got signed to um, two-tone records. Well, we got signed to two-tone because um, they wanted they wanted us to do the second two-tone tour. So They who? The your group? Well, the, fir the first one was supposed to, was the specials, Madness and the Selector, and the second one was supposed to be the Selector, the Beat, and the Body Snatchers. The Beat decided they didn't want to do it. Um, so 
it was us and uh, a band called Holly and the Italians. And they did about half the tour and then they left because it didn't really go down. Um, but, I mean, if we wanted to do the tour, which was really, you know, we kind of needed to do the tour because we needed to play. Exposure, right. Yeah. Well, not exposure, practice. Uh. That's how you, get, that's how you, you know, like, no, but seriously, touring. Yeah, I, I know. You know, after touring, you get loads better. So we needed the tour. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to do the tour, we had to sign to two-tone. Mm -hmm. So that was the deal. But it was a benefit all around. Everyone benefited, so to speak, right? Well, kind of. I mean, if everyone, everyone up until us, everyone just had a one single deal. So you did one single. It usually did very well. And then you got to sign an album deal and got, you know, you go and make your album somewhere else. But for us, they decided that we should have to do two singles. So uh, we had one single, did very well. And then the second single, which didn't really do anything. So at the end of it, we were left um, without a, an album deal, without the possibility of an album deal. No, you know, so it actually made things very difficult for us. It wasn't good for us at all. Mm -hmm. And what was that tour like? Um, Your first tour? It was it was all right. I mean, we did, you know, there was a lot of kind of mad stuff like sort Give of... Give me some water, example. Well, water pistols, apple pie beds. I mean, you know, like there was a lot of that. It was kind of pranks. We did lots of pranks. We were, we were known for our pranks, which was quite funny. Um, How about yeah, audience, was, audience response? All uh, female band. How many people, members were in the band? Seven. Seven female. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, High not, energy music. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we weren't the only all-female band around, so it wasn't that unusual. I mean, you were playing that high-energy music, weren't? Yeah, playing that right. music. Yes, man. Music. Uh -huh. um, what was it like? It was my my most um, remembered gig was Guildford, where the audience see Kyle for so long that because they, they, it was like proper NF times, National Front, so. There was lots of sea carling in the audience, and we had we we had a what we did is if people started to sea carl, you down tools and you'd walk off until they stopped, and then you'd come back on. But um, I remember at Guildford they didn't stop, so I had to come back on and shout at them until they stopped in order for us to carry on the gig. Otherwise, you know, we'd have had to abandon the set. Mm -hmm. What do you, uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages in being an all female band? I've no idea. I was only in a full female band. And I've no, <laughs> you can't keep that. asking me, what's the difference? It's like, I don't know. I, I, wasn't in a, I wasn't in a different band. I was only in that band. So, so, you, I, so you weren't officially, you, you sang with the special, but you weren't part of the special. No, no. Hope to get to later on. Mm -hmm. No, the specials, the specials, there was the specials, and mm -hmm. then there was Dick and Rico, and then there was me and Paul Heskett. So like there were, you know, so there were the specials who were the proper specials and Dick and Rico who were honorary members and there was me and Paul Heskett and Paul played flute and me and me and him were just like, you know, we were kind of hangers on. Really. And that's the world famous Rico, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was officially a part of the specials. Well, no, but he was honorary member. Because honorary member. All right. Yeah, understood. Yeah, honorary mm -hmm. member. Right. So the band got disbanded. Uh, shortly, I guess, two years after formation? Am no, right? Body Snatchers. And no, 13 right. months. How much? 13 months. So that's 
uh, 12 months make a year, right? So it's just slightly it's over. Just over a year. Mm -hmm. And you guys accomplished quite a bit, man. Became known globally. We did about 200 gigs. I mean, we played a lot. We did about 200 <laughs> gigs, released two singles. We, were, we appeared in Dance Grace, which is the reason, I think, pretty much why people remember us. Um, you know, so, yeah, we, we worked hard in that time. You we worked very hard. Uh -huh. And it was outside of uh, Europe? Oh, good Lord, no. I don't, we didn't even go to Europe. Just England? Yeah, um, no, we went to Ireland as well, but we only okay. played in Belfast. We didn't play in the Republic of Ireland. Mm -hmm. So um, I think which leads us now to your work with the um, specials. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. By this nature, then you became involved. Tell us about that involvement, how that came about. Um, I know you, had, you mentioned meeting band members. Well, they asked me to come and sing on their second album. I I can't remember when that was, but I know that I did it. I I I am. Um... <laughs> Sorry, my son. Oh gosh, he just threw this at me. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, he's gonna come up in the conversation. Oh yeah, man, that's a centerpiece. Yeah, he just, oh, he just yes. threw that at me. <laughs> Yeah, because you want us to talk about that, and we will talk about that. Yeah, I don't know where it comes from. Is this yours? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, it's his. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, he you. wants to do um, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. Yeah. yeah, we played with the Go-Go's. We played a gig with the Go-Go's. So they were around at the time. Um, and then we... I, I, see, I'm trying to remember when we recorded more specials, the songs on more specials. I don't know. It was when the Go-Go's were in London. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. um, so they, Jerry called me up and asked me to come and sing this. Come and Jerry sing was the head, head man for the specials, right? Jerry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah his, 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 his name comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this song that you sung, uh, that album, Free Nelson Mandela, uh, that's when I really and truly, I used to despise the um, two-tone bands because I thought they were bastardizing Jamaican music. I remember my first visit to see my dad and I almost shed tears when I heard some of the Jamaican songs. And I said, there was no bass line. It was, yeah, yeah. And I said, Jesus, this is what England, I, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, take us into slave and enslave, but it's another thing for these people to be bastardizing the music. I use that word twice. But then after I heard Nelson Mandela, that really and truly changed my perspective. Really and well, truly. Well, that's not changed. even uh, Jamaican uh, uh, music. Eh? Well, that's not even Jamaican music. Uh, so why did yeah, that change your mind? No, you have the skanking guitar in it. So it's, uh, the skank is what old scare rocks the reggae, two-tone, uh, that's skanking. But uh, my, my thinking as a youngster, I was very green in knowledge. But when I heard uh -huh. Nelson Mandela, because at that time I was very active in the anti-apartheid movement, Oh, uh, and okay. yes, so that I, I really got sold. Then I started looking into some of the other bands. But uh -huh. that song, Free Nelson Mandela, because a lot of reggae artists, even at that time, didn't know very much about Nelson Mandela. Uh, uh, Peter Tosh was the first one to internationalize the word uh, among reggae singers now. Uh, mm -hmm. Apartheid. He mm -hmm. made a powerful anthem, mm -hmm. uh, Fight Apartheid. And then now the specials came with Free Nelson Mandela. Well, and to be you clear. were part of that, right? Well, to be clear, it was the special AKA. So it was after the special split. Oh, the second, should I, not formation, after the special, okay. So the special split, 
I mean, mm. like the last gig was in Boston, in uh, in the US. The original the formation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the last gig was in Boston in the US. I was I was on that tour, so I was I was there. Um, and then the next year, uh, Jerry wanted to go back in the studio and do you know sort of make another album. And um, some of the backing tracks, in fact, probably if it were if there were ten songs, then eight of the backing tracks were already down. Put it that way. So because they had so that so uh, like Linval's on a, on most of it, uh, Horace is on most of on most of that album in the studio, because the backing tracks were already made. We spent two years just doing overdubs, but we we did about yeah we only we made two or three songs from scratch, yeah. and Nelson Mandela was one of them. Right, that mm, uh, really a selection in my opinion of really and truly Titanic. Proportion, as I said before, that really changed my outlook. And you were on that song, right? Yeah. Well, originally, I, but there are some I, female vocals. Female vocals, yeah. uh, lot of harmony, rich harmony. Um, I don't know which harmony mine is. It's quite likely mine was mixed out, to be honest, because I was persona non grata by that time. Um, but uh, I wrote, uh, I wrote a verse for the song, which you can hear in Play at Home. And then when we got into the studio, Jerry changed it all around. And I mean, essentially, he tried to get, he tried to erase everything I'd written and thought he had. Um, Why is that so? You'd have to ask him, wouldn't you? Because he does like his name on a record. So I don't know. You'd have to, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But anyway. And that won't happen. No, it won't happen. He won't tell you anyway. Um, but no, I so when I found that I I saw it, saw the record and realised my name wasn't on it, and so I I said, well, you know, I called the record company and I said my name's not on the record, so, you know, either you put my name on it or I'm gonna, I'm you know I'm gonna sue you. So um, I was given some of the publishing, um, and then um, then. It still came out without my name on it, so I called up the record company and and they pressed some with my name on. So there are some versions of that record with my name on them, mm. and some don't. I'll just have a look see if this one has. I don't know if it has or not. Show, it, yeah, it, oh yeah, it does. Actually, show the viewers. Show the viewers the um the album. Well, covers. it's um. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, my name's on this one, uh, but it's I, not on all of them. I don't know whether you can see it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's on that one, but it's not on all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know. So was there a major conflict between you and Jerry? I mean. No, there's not a major conflict. No, because. So, um, money is the bottom line. Who's going to collect the royalty? Well, it, it wasn't major conflict. No, because I, I didn't bother dealing with him. I dealt with the record company and I, I dealt with um, I dealt with lawyers. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, mm. so that's how that that's how that got sorted. But um, mm. but yeah, it, it it was a real fight. I mean, it took ten years for me to get any royalties at all. So, and the songs all well, eh? exceptionally well. I wouldn't know because I didn't get paid. Anything. Yeah, it played uh, all all all. I was in well, the state at that time. It was right, played well, quite a bit because I didn't get any money for years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, not, not, uh, I tell you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe you have to just leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah, so well, tell yeah, what, because, mm, I, no, yeah. I'll tell you why. It's because there's this whole idea that two-tone... No, it's like kind of making me angry, you know, because every day I talk to artists who've been robbed. I, every day. Little legends, because, okay. I mean, every day I hear the same story. I know, I know. It's actually quite funny because everyone thinks thinks that two-tone is like, you know, oh, yeah, but it was great. It's like, you know, there was... Two-tone was only run, really, by one person. And, and um, yeah, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't make any money out of it. <laughs> so I don't know where it went. Not in my pocket. Mm. So tell us what it meant to be part of the two-tone documentary movement and the popularity from the dance crazed um, documentary soundtrack. Um, my time. Yeah. Da -da -da. Da -da -da. Da -da. Yeah, I've got the the gold record up there. Yeah. I like mean, gold. <laughs> yeah, I have a got I have a gold record for it, but I had to buy it myself. <laughs> no, that. Uh, but no, I did honestly. I had. I did. Um, I've only ever been given one for free. I've, every other one I've had to buy myself. <laughs> Just like you said, uh, it, it, this conflict and everything. Uh, 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 I know. <laughs> Appearance yeah. and essence. So it appears one way, but then the essence is something else. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So what was it, what, what, what at the time though, what it felt like to be part of that documentary? The documentary? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I've never seen it, so I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. I've never watched it. I understand that... Deliberately, no, you de you ch deliberately by choice. Absolutely no interest in watching it, no. I don't want to see... Why would I want to see it? I don't remember any of it with any... I don't remember looking back and thinking, oh, we had some great times. Well, no, we didn't that much. So you're, so you're forward, you're forward looking, yeah, especially after that yeah. Great Mandela. Yeah, I can No, well, not, not, not no. that, because that was... That Among was, other things, I suppose. That was years afterwards. Well, no, I mean, look, I was in the body snatches for 13 months. But now, that can be a lifetime, though. Yeah, and, and mm. what I'm saying is, you're in a band for 13 months. If you were great friends, you would have lasted longer. We weren't great friends, so mm. it didn't last longer. So I, have, I, I don't look back on the body snatches with any fondness whatsoever. I just think, yeah, done and dusted, you know, onwards and upwards. And yes, I am forward-looking. I don't really look back and rake over the coals and think, yeah, great, we had a great time. We didn't. I mean, luckily, on that first tour, because um, there's seven people, right? So if you're sitting on a bus, that's two, 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 and one. So I was the one, but luckily, um, a guy, kept, the security man on the tour was somebody I'd known since I was, since I was about 16 or something. So he'd done security for the, for, um, for the Clash and for the Sex Pistols, a guy called Steve English, and he did security on the tour. So he came on the bus and he was like, oh, Rhoda, brilliant. And so he sat next to me. So if it, if he hadn't been on the tour, I wouldn't have had a buddy at, on the tour at all. It was so that he, bad? Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, it, it also meant that certain people never spoke to me for years because I was friends with Steve English, but it's just funny. I mean, you know. Oh, Some it's, stories. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's people in their 20s. They're not... It, right, competition. What do you know? Yeah, what do you know? Competition, what, yeah. Well, it's not competition. It's just, I mean, Steve English was, you know, he was like, he had a reputation. He came with a reputation and people were scared of him. Um, and 
I'd known him since I was a kid, so I wasn't scared of him. And mm. I said to him, I did say to him, so how come you were so nice to me when you were so mean to so many people? And when I say mean, I probably mean more than that. And he said, he said, don't you remember what you were like? Your mouth. You were. <laughs> so he actually, I, I apparently used to be really, really evil. I had an evil tongue. So anyway, mm. I don't know if that's really true. So your friendship with, no, with Pauline Black of the selection, yeah. uh, that is by choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And tell us about that friendship. How many years well, I, I, I she mean, came to your first concert? Second. Second. Have you guys remained? Well, your, 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 your memory is sharper than a two-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, I mean, the thing is, you see people for years and then you don't see them for years. So I didn't see her for years. Mm -hmm. But um, we got back in touch, I think it was early 2000s, maybe 2002. Mm -hmm. Because there was a project that her and... Um, um jenny bellstar were doing called um what was it called acoustica or no not no it was before that it was called something else no it was uh they were doing like it was like poor me pauline and jenny would do like a few tunes each and some covers and whatever um i'm trying to think what it was called i can't think anyway we did a few gigs like that and it didn't really work but i got on well with pauline so we kind of she carried on as the selector and um, and I used to do like special, I used to be a special guest with the selector. But that was like 2002, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and I've kind of seen each other on and off since then. Um, but, you know, it's before social media, so you're not kind of ringing people up every five minutes. But I mean, you know, um, yeah, we've kind of been in, in touch on and off since then, but you know, we keep in we keep in now we keep in touch much more because right. we've, we've kind of toured together a couple of times in the last few years. So, mm -hmm. I um, wanted to ask you um, if you've had a chance to work with some of the Jamaican legends. Uh, you mentioned Rico, not sure to what extent, but I'm going to add now. In addition to Rico, Desmond Decker, Larry Lakins, one of the founding fathers, and mm. uh, Prince Buster. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to work with any of those? I more uh, contemporary. I know Winston Francis is there. Alton Ellis was there. Uh, mm -hmm. A whole bunch of people. This is too long, too. Well, I met, I've met all those people. Mm. Um, I've, do, I've done gigs supporting Desmond Decker. And mm. um, what was funny is, like, um, Roy... Because I don't remember Desmond Decker. I, th I always remember Desmond Decker as being quite tall. And Roy Ellis has this thing of like, everyone is short. And so he said, he said, Desmond, no! He said, no, man's short. He's short, shorter than me. And I was like, what? Get out. And he said, no, no, really. Because the thing is, Desmond Decker, if, if I walked in a room, Desmond Decker would always insist that I sat down. He said, I can't sit while there's a lady standing. So he would make me sit down. And and Royale said, no, no, it's because he's short. Because he doesn't. Want... <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's because he's short. So um, I don't know. Hey, I would Again. say average average size uh, for that time period. I I don't know, but he was. I mean, he was. You know, he was. He was nice. He was very very charming to me. So I have. Right. I I you know I have nothing bad to say about him. Um, who else you say? Laura Lakin. I think I did mm. done a gig with him. I didn't really know Laurel to, to talk to. I didn't really talk to him. It's apart from hello, you know, that's about all really. 
Um, who else? Prince Buster, I've said hello to, but mm. no more than that. Mm. Um, no, Rico, no, you're perhaps, no, Rico, the best singer. Yeah, Rico, I knew, I, I worked with a lot, because I, I, I sang in his band for a bit as well, so I toured, I, I did, a, toured is probably too much, but I did a, quite a few gigs with Rico as one mm. of the singers. Uh, well, what kind of person was he? He was very nice. He was he was he was he was a lovely man who had love in his heart for everybody. Um, but if you woke him up too early in the morning, he would you wouldn't want to be have you wouldn't want to be the person he focused his gaze on. So Enrico got on the tour bus, inevitably one of the last people. You didn't look him in the eye because if he caught you, you know, if he caught your eye, you would get the full you know, like mm -hmm. Like absolutely he'd be losing his mind because people woke him up he didn't like being woken up and i once actually saw something uh we we're in a hotel in i want to say munich but it might not have been munich but it's because i remember <laughs> Ter terry saying something at munich it was hilarious but <laughs> in munich somebody picked up rico's trombone case and broke the handle off it and he absolutely lost his mind. It was, it, I mean, I remember running because I didn't want him, I didn't want to be around when that happened because if he caught me, he'd be telling me everything about how everything in the world is wrong. But like he would, you know, when, you know, like a proper Jamaican rant, proper, proper rant for like five, ten minutes. And that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he would just go for it. And you'd be just like, and if you were the one who caught his eye, you'd be like, yeah, Rico, no, Rico, yes, Rico, no. but that was hilarious. But yeah, I mean, don't. I, don't... I, had, the, I had the good fortune of working with him and spent uh, quite a bit of time with him out here. And uh, from my memory, he couldn't stay without his trombone for a minute. And that was no. a long time. Mm. Yeah. Always practicing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But lovely, lovely man. Lo I mean, yes, man. You know, like you said, love in his heart, man. Lots of love. Love in his heart for everybody. Yes, yeah. man. Very deep, very profound. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very profound. And, that, and mm -hmm. that was that was entirely, you know, he he meant that. That was that wasn't um, that wasn't put on at all. He right. meant that. He was lovely. Mm -hmm. So when did you start being a DJ and a selector? I don't know. I mean, I know when I. Was I mean, you've done just about everything, eh? That you can. Well, well. I mean, when I was in the Body Snatchers, people used to ask me to DJ. And I did DJ, I think, once or twice after gigs. But what you have to remember is I've got really bad eyesight. So I couldn't see putting needles on the record in the dark. <laughs> could not do it. There's no way that was going to work. So, um, and I remember... I've been doing that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> well, it's just the, the first, I think the last time I DJed with vinyl, I was trying to do this thing and I was DJing with a woman called Wendy May, who's like, she was really big. She was really big. She had a big club night uh, in, in London. And um, I think she just, she gave me instant dismissal. She said, you just stand there and choose the records. I'll put the, you know, I'll, I'll put it on the, on the turntable. Don't you touch it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that was the best thing, really. But then they invented CDs, and suddenly it was safe. Yeah, that changed All everything. All you have to do is press play. Yeah, I mean, so everything much got changed. Yeah, right. so much better for me. As I mentioned before, you've done just about everything. Tell us about your creating and writing uh, you've done for children records. Um, well, and I, I think you did some writing for, as well as um, 
Scam Madness, which is a series. Yeah, well, there were two. There were two. Uh, oh, okay, two. All right. Thanks for the correction. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. No, I, I um, why did I did some sleeve notes? It started actually with Trojan. Somebody asked me to do to write some sleeve notes on. Uh, now, uh, it was a compilation called "Let Me Tell You, Boy." Um, which was kind of a they they used to do yeah. they, I mean essentially there's loads and loads of, of uh, yeah man I have one things. or two of those yeah well let me tell you boy it was like a shortened version of women in you know the women of Trojan or Trojan women or whatever um, right. so a shortened version and they asked me to write to to write kind of an introduction so I did that mm-hmm. um, and then I have I've done sleeve notes for the beat. Um, they did a, I think they did a three album retrospective and I wrote sleeve notes for that. That was for America though, I think. I know that's for the UK. But Mm. but then they had a compilation in America that I wrote sleeve notes for. And um, then there was Scar Madness, which I I chose the tracks for and and wrote the sleeve notes. Um, That's actually the only gold record I haven't paid for myself. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the record company gave me a gold record. I didn't have to pay for it myself. But, um, yeah, and uh, so then Trojan asked me again recently for leave uh, <clears throat> notes for, um, what was it? It was for uh, another sort of female, comp- or, or female <clears throat> compilation. So um, I want to take a minute here to remind uh, our viewers that um, in conversation with Rhoda, Dakar, and this is the 13th episode of the History of LASK, a one-on-one session. And again, tonight's guest is from the United Kingdom, British singer-songwriter, musician, DJ, beloved two-tone icon, Miss Rhoda Dakar. Thank you, Junior. <laughs> Junior without an eye. No, so tell, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, low, is that Low Tech 4? Yeah, Low Tech came about. Mm-hmm. Um, How did that come about? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, originally, what happened was my son went to this school, which was a, like a music specialist school, mm-hmm. and they are. They said they wanted to do a performance. Um, they said, "Would any of the parents come and sing?" Because uh, they wanted to do a, a performance. If some of the parents would come and play, because some of the teachers would do it, were joining in as well, so that the kids could see that music is actually a job and something that you do when you're grown and whatever. Um, anyway, so I said, yeah, I'll do something. And, and I, um, the first time I took my son in the studio, in a recording studio, he was six months old. It was just, wow, really a baby. And, and it was when, yeah, it was when uh, Beth Orton and Terry Callier were recording a song called Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend was producing it. My friend, Dr. Robert, was producing. And so he, I took him into the studio because I knew there would be a lot of people I knew there and um, nobody had seen him. You know, I'd been at home with him. So I was showing off my baby in the studio and Terry Kelly was saying, oh, look at him. He's singing. He's going to be a singer. <laughs> he, you know, he grew up to be a drummer. So well, that's close enough, right? Yeah, completely. No, bless yeah, him. Timekeeper, timekeepers are important okay well at a stretch uh but anyway he was in the studio and and the song they were recording was dolphins so when 
the school, my son's school asked us to do it to do, you know, for, for a call for a call out to parents. I said, Well, let's do dolphins. You play drums, and I think one of his teachers played piano, and I sang it, and we and we did that, and it sounded really good. Oh, sorry, an alarm. That's your son drumming. Uh, no, it was an alarm going off. Sorry. Um, um, yeah, it would be much louder than that. Now, uh, yeah, so we did, we did, we did that, and it sounded really good, but it was like really mm -hmm. stripped back. And I said the only thing it really missed was a bass. So then sometime later, I thought, why don't we just try that? Just kind of strip back songs to all they are, you know, the, just the bare minimum and just record them really nicely, just like low tech, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, what, that's where that came, kind of came about. And four was because it was supposed to be only four tracks, but we, en we ended up doing more than that. But the low tech four, so on the art, uh, there would be two tracks on either side of the EP. Um, mm -hmm. But we did Dolphins and my son played drums on it. Right. But um, very kindly, Paul Weller let us use his studio. So we got to record in Paul Weller's studio, which is beautiful. And you did some work with the Dub Pistols as well? I think you... Yeah, that was... Yeah, I wrote, I, together. I, wrote, I wrote a tune with them. Yeah, they asked me, they asked me to do a collab and um, sent me a, a track. And so mm -hmm. I, wrote, I wrote a song. I wrote the lip, you know, the sort of mm -hmm. the song for it. And over the years, you've remained politically and socially conscious. Why is that important to you? Why is that of relevance? Um, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I think it's possibly because, and it's, I mean, despite the fact that I'm an atheist, as we discussed yesterday briefly. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that I'm, I'm an atheist, mm -hmm. I was brought up in um, church schools. And so every day we would hear, you know, about doing the right thing and being a good neighbor and all of those things. And I think it just goes in. And also these were kind of the values that my parents espoused. Mm -hmm. My mum was an agnostic, she described. I mean, you know, we didn't go to church. We weren't churchgoers at all. But my dad was known for being kind and looking out for people. And my mum was, you know, she would help people. And so I, I kind of had that, there was that culture of service in the house and service to others and looking out for people. So I think inevitably, um, and as we said yesterday, when I went to Jamaica and, you know, a grown woman was calling me miss and washing my clothes and cooking my food, I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. So um, I think... I don't want to say it comes from it comes from it comes from the attitude in my in my upbringing, um, and also inevitably from hearing Bible verses every day. Now mm. I know it must be a different Bible to the one they hear here in America in those big churches with you know where you have to pay fortunes to to be part of it or whatever. I mean you know I I it's not the church the church that I learned a lot about and I studied religious i studied uh religious studies till i was about i don't know 16 or something like that i was really fascinated by it <laughs> um the idea of um 
sweeping away everything. I, my problem is with organised religion. I don't have a problem with people believing in what the higher power or whatever gets them there. Mm -hmm. But my problem is with organised religion. Um, you know, I, I do believe in, you know, turning over the tables of the moneylenders. I do believe mm -hmm. in that. You know, I, I, I absolutely don't agree, don't agree with any of that. And, and I think um, the Jesus that people talk about is someone I recognise as a revolutionary socialist and if if you don't see that in in that in <clears throat> christianity i don't quite know what it is you're looking at so for me it would be all of those things combined means that those are those are my values so mm -hmm. inevitably um i i can't walk by on the other side i have to if something's wrong i have to say yes and you know, and, and to be honest, I was brought up like that. If I'd, if I'd gone to my dad and said, so-and-so mm -hmm. was wrong, and he said, so what did you do? And I said, nothing. And I would get, you know, he'd be like, what? <laughs> what? You know, he would, like, lose his mind. Why would you do nothing? Why would you say nothing? You have a voice. You know, you you say something. You don't just put up with things. You know, we are, I mean, I, I suppose I've come to the conclusion I am a, you know, what I suppose in America is a dirty word. I'm a socialist and I have no gods, no masters. But I I say that everybody is important. I have time for everybody. Um, and I feel that we have to look out for each other. That is our job. And as, as Muhammad Ali said, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And if you... I. I, that is exactly what I believe in. I don't believe anything different than that. He is <laughs> absolutely right. So that is a maxim I live by every day. So I have to do something. I, you know, you do what you do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably a bit past marching in the streets. I've done a lot of that. I've sat down outside the, you know, Downing Street where the Prime Minister lived. Done enough of that. I mean, now I, I join organisations I help to run, you know, so like I'm a governor of a hospital, I am, um, I'm the chair of a squash club, I, what else is the other thing? Um, I'm a patron of the Music Venue Trust, which helps to look after right. small venues and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and for my sins, I teach people who use mental health services. I teach music to people who use mental health services. So... Mm. I, I just think you have to, I'm obliged to do all of those things. Yes, I share that sentiment. Since I turned 11, I welcome organized religion like you welcome a fly on the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, organized. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, I tell you. But you, you started an online radio uh, show uh, yeah. during the pandemic. Tell us about that. Well, um, my friend Eddie, Eddie Pillar, uh, has a radio station called Totally Wired Radio. And, online uh, or uh, Telestial? Well, I think it's, yeah, it's online. It's online. Mm. It's not, because it's not, FM licenses are quite hard to come by. Or in impossible in London, there. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's quite hard to come by. So most, you know, but the thing is, it, it kind of grew out of Soho Radio, which is quite an established online radio station. Um, but yeah, he was. He had this radio station, and I'd had an idea for a radio show for years, but I just didn't know how to put it together. So, shout out to Simon Green if he's listening, because he tried to help me 
years ago get a get um uh, a radio state a radio show off the ground so you know cheers respect simon um but uh yeah eddie eddie i asked eddie we were at a, we were at, where were we at uh louder than words so we we're at a literary festival in manchester and i said uh somebody said i'll oh, go and ask him and i said can i do a radio show on your station and he said he said yeah of course it was that simple i was like yeah. oh okay and then I was in the middle of a tour, so I couldn't do it then. And then kind of pandemic hit. And uh, in the end, I just said, look, can I just do that radio show? And he just said, yeah, you, can you do it at home? And I'm like, I, I guess, because my son could probably help me. But yeah, I, I, so I make it at home. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I do it. I have a, I've got microphones and things like that. So that's Nice, of course. So before I ask you, uh, how can people hear uh, and listen to the show? What's the format? Um, the format, uh, well, it's mostly... Your, 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 your format, not necessarily the station's format. No, no, my format is um, I'll play a few tunes. I usually have a guest, although I have experimented on doing, show, doing one show without a guest. But I usually have a guest, so I usually interview somebody I know. Um, very rarely is it anyone I don't know, but uh, yeah, so I interview people um, and um, then play some tunes afterwards. Mm, so, what kind of music? You stick to um, what kind of little of this or little of that? As well, it's called it. pork pie mashup, so it's mostly I know this pork is. pie. Mm -hmm. It's mostly pork pie, so it's mostly uh, it was it was it's heavy on the reggae, um, oh, but right. because it's pork pie and mash it's like pie and mash is a is a proper london dish ah, so a bit yeah. of london so it's a bit of reggae a bit of london and then mash up so it's then it's anything else i fancy yeah so basically right. i play whatever i like yes you have that freedom and so tell yeah. uh our viewers where they can um hear you hear it well this is i'm plugging you know you're not you don't have to pay for this commercial Oh, right. <laughs> it's a commercial for your radio show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear That's the right. latest edition of Pork yes, Pie Mashup, just go to the Totally Wired radio site, look for the catch-up page, and click on Rhoda Dakar, and the latest show will be there for your delectation. If, by any chance, you want to hear all the other shows, then you go to Mixcloud, and you can find them all there. So it's pork pie and mashup, or if you just Google Rhoda Dakar, you'll get all kinds of things that I've done. So you'll get, you know, when I took over, sat in for a punk show and things like that, I did all those kinds of things. But mm -hmm. pork pie and mashup is all there on Mixcloud. They're all there on Mixcloud, mm -hmm. but every month's show is on Totally Wired site. And it's uh, live? Is your broadcast is live or no? I don't broadcast. No, because we can't go in the studio. Some people do do live now. I think they can go in the studio, but mm -hmm. no, mine is mine is um, is recorded is pre-recorded because because we have a pandemic. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> My guess is the innovative and creative um, Rhoda Dakar. You have, I think. Um, your latest single? Or there's so many, but that, tell us about your latest single. I think it's a rendition of um, Morris. 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 Yeah, right. Uh -huh. yeah. 
every day is like Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah, it comes out on the 21st of April. Oh, it's not out uh, as yet? No, no, it's not out All right, yet. so let's promote that, man. Yeah, yeah, so it's coming out on the 21st of April. There were, there were originally um, seven-inch vinyl copies, but unfortunately, they're all sold out now. You're so, How many printed? Uh, I think it was only about 500, because we didn't know if anyone would Only buy. 500? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we, nice start. Nice start. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, we didn't, know, we didn't know if anyone would buy it. You know, you That's don't what know. I'm saying. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, it yeah, was no. a punt. It was a punt. I mean, essentially, mm -hmm. the song Every Day is Like Sunday was like my, the lockdown earworm. Because when we first went into lockdown last year, it was like you didn't know what day of the week it was. You know what I mean? You never really knew what time it was. Because we were so used to, I mean, we weren't used to just being at home doing nothing. So, so that that kind of started going around in my head every day mm -hmm. is like Sunday. Um, I have to say, my knowledge is really of the Pretenders version. I hadn't really heard Morrissey's version, but um, yeah. So I just said, when we were able to go in the studio, I said, let's have a go at doing this. Let's do it, you know. And there was another another tune we were going to put on the B side, and then um, uh somebody's you know i got an offer to do a couple of singles uh, with sunday best records mm -hmm. and um i i played them every day is like sunday and they really liked it so um so then they said so we you know it was all put together and um a friend of mine called pete mckee who is a brilliant painter from sheffield in the people's republic of south yorkshire um he did the cover he very kindly did the cover. I love, I love Pete's work. Um, and he did the cover. And um, yeah, so we sold that out. So we've got another tune coming out. I guess that'll come out in a couple of months. Oh, not another but, pressing? Not, you're not pressing oh, no, another no, 500? Because no, no. already I have a couple of orders here already. People are ordering. <laughs> well, uh, if, you try, not... if, you, if you try Rough Trade, Rough Trade, Rough Trade might have... Um, a cup. They might have some. I think they bought some to to sell in the shop. Mm. But I don't know if they'll still have them by the time the shop by the time the the singles out. But yeah, Rough Trade have Rough Trade had some. Rough um, and um, yeah. Aside from that, they're all gone. But yeah, we're gonna do a few singles and uh, because it's gone so because it's been so well received and it's not even mm -hmm. out. We're going to do, yeah, we're going to do a few singles and then do an album next year. Wonderful. So is there any artist you would like to work with that you have not worked with? We talk about the legends, I mean, not them. By and large, most of the legends that I've talked about, they have already joined ancestors. Yeah. Or how about people in the flesh now? That I'd really like to work with. Mm -hmm. You see, the trouble is the people that I really admire, I'd be too terrified to work with. So people... I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember watching um, Marcia Griffiths sing and um, uh, me and Linval stood together watching her sing. It was at a, um, a Scar Festival in, at Clapham Grand in London and I was, like, I was watching her and I could, I mean, I saw her backstage, I couldn't speak to her and then she was like singing and I was crying. Linval was looking at me going, <laughs> look at you. I, said, I know, I can't help it. I love her voice so much. But how you know what am I going to do with Marcia Griffiths? Just like hold her, hold her coat or something, you know. So. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people I did actually, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Elvis Costello. I've, I've you know, obviously he produced uh, Mandela and stuff. So I've had, mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity of working with him, but like, um, I'm a huge fan and a huge, I mean, literally proper fangirl fan. And um, in fact, that was the last ordinary indoor gig that I went to, you know, like where, where we could all sit together. That was mm -hmm. like the 13th of March last year. But anyway, so Elvis Costello, he'd, you know, he'd, he, well, he does this like spinning wheel thing where he plays, he's got so many songs, he, he spins a wheel and he come, he like, it stops on one and he plays that and then he plays a couple more. Anyway, um, for my friend's 50th birthday, we went to watch him and there's the gir a girl who used to come and goes in the audience and finds people to come on stage. And so she found us and took us on stage. Now, I genuinely thought it was a, a setup. I thought it was a setup. I didn't think it was for real. But mm. like she chose us to go on stage. And then Elvis said, oh, Phil. And he said, oh, this is my wife, Shelley. He's like, oh, Shelley. And, and I just Rhoda, oh, my God. So like, you know, it was, it was, and this girl's going, you know him. How is that? And it was so funny. But it was it was absolutely brilliant. And I was just sitting on the bar. There was like a bar on stage. I sat by the bar on a bar stool. And I was just singing harmonies to myself. And he came along and stuck a microphone under my mouth. And, and so like my harmonies were all over the hall. I mean, that to me, that's like, that's enough. I've sung with Elvis Costello. I'm happy now. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know who else. Who else do you even, where else do you go? I, I, I. There are, um, people, there are people I admire so much, but I, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't work with them. I, you know, I'd just go silent. I would fall silent. I can mm. just speak. Well, I have a recommendation for a do it with you and, and Stranger Cold. That sounds terrifying. Why would I want to do that to myself? Are you kidding me? It would come over very well. Oh, I would. <laughs> I would come over very well. I don't know. I'd be terrified. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, Rhoda, I'm, you're too modest. You're too modest, man. <laughs> you're too modest. Way too modest. Well. Yeah. But I, I, I read somewhere that you're a passionate fan of poetry. And in America, I don't know if it's worldwide, but I know it's April is National Poetry Month. Yeah, it's is not it? here. <laughs> it's oh, only America. <laughs> ah, only in America. Yeah, yes, right. America. Uh -huh. So who are some of your favorite poets? Um, and I know your love. Uh, that is accurate, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Oh, there you go. Poetry. All right. Really and you have written poetry. some no, poetry I... yourself? Sorry? You have written some poetry for yourself? Yeah, yeah, I've written poetry. Yeah, mm. I've written poetry. Pop, have, actually... they, have they been published? I'm asking. Uh, so. No. <laughs> no. Mm. no, no, no. Um... I actually did perform poetry on stage once. And I was te that was terrifying, I have to say, because I'm not a poet. You know what I mean? It's not my, it's not my thing. So, and I've got friends who are like, just you know, brilliant poets. So for me, it's like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually what I did was I'm, I should look them out years ago, and it was so tell you how many years ago it was because I had a it was on on a like a Tascam four track. I used to record poetry, it was before I had children even, I used to record poetry and I used to put like um, sound effects to it. Wow. Yeah. So, so I have somewhere got some poetry on like mixed down from a four track that mm -hmm. I recorded in my front room.
So yes. they should, yes. You should consider putting them out. Well, I should consider finding them first. So that would right. be a start. And then um, afterwards, we will, I'll have a listen yes. and see how bad they are. Um, but no, I have, I have my very favourite poet, I have to say, um, obviously at the moment, everybody loves Amanda Gorman. And that's understandable because I think the whole world fell in love with her at Biden's inauguration. She was amazing. <laughs> that was like, oh my god is she for real is she like you know it was like she was she was just too good to be true it was incredible watching i was like oh my god we're all transfixed she's wonderful so i i mean and i think her her book is top of the new york times best-selling list at the moment so she's 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 flying she's amazing but um yeah, my fa my favorite poet. She is uh, domestically grown. She's well, she, Yes, yeah, what, American. Yeah, yeah. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I, mean, I didn't mean Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's American. Yeah, I assume she's a homegrown American. Jamaica. Yeah, Amer Los Angeles. American. She sounds American, but not yeah. that that can tell you anything. Um, yeah, I mean, my favorite poet in all the world is a guy called John Cooper Clark or Dr. John Cooper Clark, as he now likes to call himself, because he's an honorary doc, he got an honorary doctorate. But uh, John Cooper Clark, and his, my very favorite poem of his is, is called, I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And mm. that is my favorite poem. What's the essence of it? Um, I married a mon I married a monster from outer space. Is that's how it kind of starts? I mean, I don't know. You don't, the is it political? No. <laughs> oh, oh, I because I, I don't no. know. What I'm thinking is is no, I mean, hey, that's why I, no, you no, cannot throw is, me off there. Mm. No, he is. I mean, he does. You know, he does political, but that's not that's not political. That's just funny. It's just funny, and he's just he is. Just, I mean, Clarky, as we call him, is he's the don. He is the don of poets. I absolutely love him. I absolutely love Clarky. And there's no chance he would be listening, so it's fine, I can say that. But I, I think he's wonderful. I think he's wonderful. Um, but like uh, I've done, also, I did a gig with... Um, I did th I did this thing because when I do when I do London shows, like if I do like a London headline show, I always like to get a female fronted band or an all female band, if possible, mm -hmm. to support me. Um, and then one time I did this thing where I did a down tempo set, so I was my own support. Mm -hmm. Did like a down tempo set, songs that I've recorded but I never play because they're, you know, they're kind of like. You, you have know, a lot of those. Not lot, but enough to do a set. So you know, I did like a down tempo set, and then in the middle I had on this poet um, called Selena Godden, who is just brilliant, and she's it was hilarious. She's really funny, really clever. And she's just written a book um, for the uh, for the readers out there. She's just written a book called Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. So it's Mrs. M-R-S, mm -hmm. Mrs. Death, her name, Mrs. Death, M-I-S-S-E-S, -S -S -E Death. And I think the rights to that have been bought by Idris Elba, so it's going to be made into a, a film. Wow, just so, like that. Yeah, well... I mean, you know, just like that is <laughs> that's is a, is a great book. But she's she's a brilliant poet. She's another she's right. somebody else who's great. So yeah, I do really like poetry. Um, mm -hmm. I like performance poetry. I'm not so I don't I don't um, particularly sit sit and read it. 
Um, mm. But I like performance poetry. Right. We are nearing our destination. So uh, two things. Okay. Any closing thoughts for your fans and our viewing audience? And the other one is to, again, plug your um, single and your radio show. Okay. Radio show is called Pork Pie Mashup. This month's mm. guest is Ms. Pauline Black of The Selector. So wow. you should, so listening to us chewing, chewing the fat over new artists in Coventry and things like that. So we were talking about, you know, like young artists in Coventry. Um, Pas Salieu, for all of those of you who've never heard of him, have a look. Uh, and um, the other thing is I have a single coming out on the 21st of April, which is called Every Day is Like Sunday. It's coming out on Sunday, Sunday Best Records. Uh, now you might catch uh, a, a seven-inch vinyl from rough trade but mostly they're all gone um but you will be able to pre-save it to all of your usual um listening places like spotify or apple mm. music or deezer or i don't know whatever uh you can also buy a download if you want um so so that's available to buy but um the physical is is all gone i'm afraid um so yeah we're doing some more singles throughout the year an album that will be released next march probably um what else what else what else yeah okay. essentially any closing thoughts um any closing thoughts for your uh, fans and your viewing audience well, fans when and it's, friends. well when it's sunday night and you're supposed to be writing your dissertation don't go don't go be doing don't be doing instagram live because that's naughty because that's not what i should be doing with my time <laughs> Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, what can I say? Just be be kind to each other. Wear mm. your face mask. Do your social distancing. If you're offered a vaccine, take it. Take the vaccine. Have the vaccine. Um, and um, look out for people in your community. And don't mm. forget that those those healthcare workers have worked like dogs, and not just them. But all your kind of the people, the infrastructure people, so like your postman, um, the people who deliver your you know, the people who deliver who deliver parcels, they've been working like crazy. People who work in food shops have been working like crazy. Just give them a break, you know, because they have put themselves in the front line so that you can carry on doing what you need to do. And also, I mean, I don't public transport not a big thing in los angeles <laughs> uh in my small experience but you know bit of a long I, I remember taking the well what i thought was the underground train from the airport to to a hotel took hours man it took hours i could have run faster it was that slow but bless them it's a start you know it's a start yes yes i agree yeah. so you're getting out of your cars and you're going on a very slow train that goes mm. up and down and round and stops at traffic lights. it stops at traffic lights <laughs> i thought i'm on a tube the, the big corporations the bought the train they bought the trains out here in in a couple of cent uh yeah you know the ford wanted every person in california to have a car so they um you know capitalists will work yeah i do yeah i yeah. do no, vicious I mean, and brutal 
No, but you need, you can't, that can't, that can't carry on. You've got to have mass public transport. You've yeah, we've to. seen some significant changes out here. No, I know. I went, as I said, I went on what you call the, is it called the Metro? I can't remember what it's called there. But it's like, it's what we would call a tram. It's not even a train, really. Yeah, but, I, mean, I just but thought I, I haven't have been to... on it, so I guess. I, you haven't I have been to... on it. See, that's <laughs> shameful, man. That's shameful. I've been on it. I've been on it. Yes. You know, to be frank, I, I don't like the trains here because of the earthquake. It's a tram. Oh, this isn't... oh, oh. I think they have well, some underground here, but um, I. I, I... <laughs> what? It goes underground, then it goes above ground, yeah. and, it, and it goes in the middle of the road, and it stops at traffic lights. I'm not I paranoid. To... I've I seen quite a few God. earthquakes, and you know, I really don't want to be underground when there is one. But if well, I have I... to take one, you know, I would. It's not something I look forward to. I mean, in New York, I had no choice. I used to ride the train daily. Mm. But out here, I'm kind of reluctant. But I would ride the train. Underground, I mean, the underground train. And yeah, I, they but do they're not underground. They, they're yeah, not man, underground they're, they're building some underground railroad now that takes it to the airport. Yeah, I know. I've been but, on it. Oh, yeah. You, well, you're a couple yeah, steps yeah, ahead of me. You're I've not been on it. Yeah. It takes hours. And I, <laughs> and I think I had to change at Rosa Parks Boulevard or something yeah. like that. You know, and that was that was like, oh, Rosa Parks took a took a photograph. And, yes, but um, famous civil yeah. rights activist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it, you got you got to get out your cars. But having said that, um, Los Angeles is the only other city in the world I actually considered living in. Why is that? Because it's semi-tropical. Um, I don't know. No, no, it mm. wasn't. It was when my when my son was little. When my son and daughter were little, we used to come to LA, you know, maybe come once a year or something like that and visit some friends who'd moved out here. Yeah. And um, because my dad was born in Panama, I used to, I could put in for the visa lottery. So I used to go in for the visa lottery. And uh, we just, you know, we looked around and thought, actually, this would be all right to live. It's quite nice. It was in a time when LA was still fairly cheap to live. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could live fairly cheap. And... Um, and people were nice. I liked it. People were nice there. And um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. They, they, and they had a French school because my kids went to French school. So they had a French school. I think it was on Pico. And uh, in fact, yeah, I've got a friend whose son, a friend in L.A. whose son goes there now. So, yeah, it's on Pico. So my kids would have had a they could have gone straight to the French school and it would have been the same curriculum as it was in london i've i've lost i'm supposed to be telling you significant things. no everything you say is important i kid you not <laughs> <laughs> right well most important thing people is get your vaccination mm -hmm. social distancing wear a mask covid is real don't believe anyone who tells you any different you know it's really important and and i think you've got elections coming up soon have you in some places? No, uh, in California, we may have election, I think, uh, towards the end of this year. There's a recall for the governor. Okay. So uh, I'm speculating now that he's going to lift the, the curfew or the lockdown so that um, by the time the election comes up, then he'll win the election. It's all politics. But he's a fairly okay guy. You know, I, I only vote once in my life because I wanted to get... Hitler out of the White House. I never participated because I see the Democrats and the Republicans as a flip side of a coin. Well, you don't really have. Yeah, but to be fair, in America, you have like you have 
you have right wing and then you have not so right wing and, then, and then you have mad right wing. You right. don't really have politics. Mm-hmm. You don't I, have any real, there's no real distinction. It's just so like right wing and, right. and, and, and not so right wing. And I've come to the realization that the Democratic Party relies on the Republican Party to keep the, those to, to the left away from them. So the, the Republic, so the Democratic Party is okay with the, the, with the Ku Klux Klan running the White House to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. Because I then, because they worry yeah. about the, they worry about the progressives. Yeah, progressives. Uh, yeah. You you see, see those, so the Democrats will tell you, you see those guys over there, the liberals, they're always pointing. You see those guys over there, worry about them and worry about them. Yeah, you see, liberal, the li- but li- liberal in in the UK is like the people who are in the middle. The liberals are the people we laugh at because they're not, they don't really have any real values apart from they're not the others. Um, so, so liberal doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, socialism is a dirty word to you, isn't it? Well, I, I'm a socialist. No, no I mean, uh, no, not me. No, no. I, but but for America, Denmark, yeah. Yeah, oh, I, actually, yeah I they think, they think socialists right. are people... They think socialists uh-huh. are people with two heads who are gonna are gonna like make you live in camps and mm. you know sort of keep. I, we, but we have seen some significant changes because Bernie Sanders uh, rallied a lot of people around him the last yeah. election. If it wasn't for Obama who pulled a slick clue, the slick liberal coup, uh, 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 you know, Bernie could have gone very far. He was yeah. overthrown by his own people. Yeah, but Bernie is now. But isn't Bernie now in charge of um, sort of? He's in charge of one of the. He's got a big purse for his department, hasn't he? He, uh, he is. He's. Isn't he the guy who's putting through all the all the um, the money to refloat the economy and and things like that? Isn't he the one who's? Yeah, well, he's Bernie? pushing for that, but I don't think the liberals and the right well, some- allow him. But some of it has been passed already. So like the, the kind of the money that's gone through, because there's something, so many trillion dollars. Um, yes, uh-huh, right. Yeah, that's, but I'm not that's sure Bernie. He's, yeah, he's pushing, he's one that's of the Bernie. many. Right? No, but the, that's yeah, the Bernie. liberals are pushing for, right. Bernie and the liberals are pushing for that. The liberals. And the right wings and those to the extreme rights are against it. Yeah, mm. well, of course they are, because they, they believe in trickle-down economics, don't they? They believe uh-huh. in, in Trickle-down means to take from, the, take from the poor and give to the rich. Yeah, exactly. It mm. trickles down and then you catch it and give it back to the rich. I know. Uh, no, I don't, I don't believe in... That's just, just nonsense. I mean, we have to, you know... You're too bright and intelligent. Well, I, I, can't, I can't talk about American <laughs> politics. It just makes me angry. I mean, I, I'm, I do keep up with people like um, Sean... Oh, flying, blimey, what's his name? Kennedy. Uh, um, sorry, Sean. What? Did you Sean Hannity? No. Sean. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no. Um, I'm trying to think what his name is. No, there's a few people I I kind of keep up keep up with. Gary Chambers. I've been watching Gary Chambers in uh, in Louisiana. Uh, was it Gary Chambers? Yeah, yeah. He was going. I can't look look things up because it's all on my phone. But yeah, he was he was trying to be elected in in Louisiana. He's in Baton Rouge. I think he won. But it didn't. He didn't get to. He was trying trying for Congress, but he seems like a top top man. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of people who are who are really fighting properly 
in a Gary lost, but hopefully he will win next time. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's just written at the bottom of the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know he lost. I know he lost, but he's now supporting someone else who is, who uh, I think her name is Karen, and she is running for something. And mm -hmm. Gary Gary Chambers is supporting her. But you should, you know, like the only way politics changes is if people get their hands dirty and get involved. It doesn't change <laughs> on its own. So you not voting is a shocker. Frankly. To who? To you? Yes. Vote for who? Just vote. It doesn't matter who oh, you no, vote you for. Oh, no, you can't do that. I, yes, I couldn't. you can. But this yes, time you... I compromise. Mm -hmm. No, it's, impor it's important to vote because if you... Don't because... you think I, I've, I've read all the great philosophers and yes, some of the so... not so great ones. And it, as a matter of fact, I lost lots of friends and family when Obama ran, especially the first time. Mm -hmm. Lots of friends are lost. Uh, serious debate, and I didn't compromise and vote for him. But this, this last election, I couldn't stand to see another four years of um, Hitler and Mussolini all in one running the country. Because I, I want to leave, but they would really force me to leave before. Mm. So I said, you know, uh, it's a compromise, and so I voted. But, 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 all, but, but I mean, in local, local politics is okay, but for, uh, on the presidential level, that's something else. Look, Voting is always a compromise, but it's you've got to think of greater good. Was it the greater good that Obama was elected? Of course it was. Did he achieve much? <laughs> what did he achieve? He achieved being the first black president of the United States. He achieved being re-elected as the first black president of the United States. That, if he did nothing else, he changed perceptions about what was possible in the U.S. If you don't recognise that, you're missing a you're missing a massive point. I, I, I Policy could is I missed miss a lot. I missed the first the first black uh, female vice president. You know, and I share the sentiment of a lot of people. It's not what, for me as individual. It won't change much for women. It changed a lot of things. But in the final analysis, you know, it goes around and we're back to square one. That nothing much will be changed. Well, well, what changes is perception. So mm. what, what, what changes is, is it possible for a woman to be vice president? Yes. Is it possible for a woman of color yeah, so to all be those things vice president? <laughs> yes. Mm. And that changes. And the perception. So when a child looks at who is in charge, they mm. can see themselves. And seeing yourself means mm. that if you can see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. So now young girls can say, I want to be president. And nobody's going to say, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's mm -hmm. never going to happen. Because everyone knows now it will. And, mm -hmm. and that is, that's absolutely vital. We're going to have to have a, a debate on this. But remember, having experienced neocolonialism in its pure form in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. where yeah. we were colonized by England, then yeah. all white faces, now you have black faces running things and they are more repressive more dangerous on many occasions and instances, like we see in Africa, the Leo colonialists to, mm. took over from the, the colonial masters. Mm. So having seen that uh, a black president, a black voice president, it means something, but doesn't answer the larger issues. Well, not for you, it doesn't, but then you're mm. from Jamaica. You're from a black majority country. You couldn't possibly have the same, you don't even start with the same perceptions. So if you're, if you're a black kid in the UK, even, mm -hmm. even in the UK, I mean, you know, and, and if you're a woman, so like I look at myself and I just think, 
Well, I've seen two female prime ministers in the UK and they've both been conservatives. Mm. So it's like I'm thinking, OK, Labour, my, you know, my party, where are you? Why are you? Why do you not have a female leader? Why is that? Why and Margaret is it... Thatcher was extremely dangerous. Margaret Thatcher was a nightmare. But to be fair, it wasn't. Her... She didn't write the policy. She was just the front person. But Keith Joseph wrote the policy. But that's neither here nor there. She agreed with it and she ran with it and she she got it elected. Yes, Margaret Thatcher was hideous, hideous woman. And the Elvis Costello song, Tramp the Dirt Down, I, I, excuse me, I posted that the other day, that was on the anniversary of her death. You know, when they finally put you in the ground, I'll tramp the dirt down. Yeah, absolutely right. But then she kind of, she got, she got cremated, so we didn't even get that pleasure. But like, you know, last laugh. <laughs> I'm not going to be buried, you can't do that. But... Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So the, right, so, we, we got real political at the end here, and that's good. Yeah, yeah. You have the ability yeah, well, to talk about you know, just about anything. Conversation could go here, there, and everywhere, and it went there. Well, well, indeed. And mm -hmm. um, as you said, I think what did we say? Oh, yeah, I've got to show you my my um. Here's my Union Jack. I have a Union Jack on because mm -hmm. you know we have to have Union Jacks now when we. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not real but you know the tories would have us have union jacks in every um mm. in every room when we when we appear on screen mine actually says um misfit mm -hmm. um i don't know if you can see that it says misfit so but anyway you know um yeah so so this is what we have and no it's not about the cult of philip which is i think what you asked me earlier wasn't it, is it oh is no 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 i avoided that <laughs> the, the cult but, there, of but there is a cult right Oh, well, well, I mean, by and large, know, by and large, the news media, the news. Well, a few, news. a few, look, a few days ago, everyone thought mm. of him as an embarrassment. Now he's like the nicest. You know, they think he's the greatest thing that ever landed on the planet. But it's because people, people won't speak ill of the dead, which is kind of mm. daft, I think. Because what are they going to say? What are, they don't know, they're dead. But um, I just think, um, yeah, we didn't have. He wasn't, he was an embarrassment and then he died and suddenly he was, a, he's a wonderful man. But, you know, the real story is a woman in her 90s has lost a husband of 73 years. And mm. I think that's, that's to be respected, you know. So right. that, that, that's terrible. And all that's... that is, all that is uh, regardless of the age is a bit uh, frightening and never well, easy. I, mean, you know... I don't, doesn't matter the age. Somebody said that and I kind of I said, that's, you're right. I hadn't thought of it before, but I've been giving it some thought on my way here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an, an, an old woman. Because it's the final. Well, an old woman's lost her husband. And so that you have to respect and say, OK, well, you know, that's the human, that's the human story. And yeah. we can all relate to that. Right. After that, once again, I would say no gods, no masters. So, you know, that, that's where it ends for me. I'm not going to do eight days of mourning or whatever. And I would be disappointed if you said you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course really. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if I'm going to mourn something, I'll mourn the, the 156,000 people who've died of COVID. Mm. Um, a lot of them probably didn't need to die, but, you know, that's... Of course not. It, it's been dreadful. And I, and I don't know how many people have died in America currently, but it's massive, massive. Way over <laughs> half a million. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was half a million in January, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. 
I guess most people stop counting. Well, I Which mean, is, you it's know, so profoundly sad. Well, the the truth is, if you're not actively doing something to make it stop, and if you're not doing your bit, then you're mm -hmm. contributing. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So for me, you no know, middle ground. Why, well, Dolly Parton, full marks to Dolly Parton. She she dipped her hand in a pocket and and spent a lot of money to get the Moderna vaccine um, developed. So four marks to Dolly Parton. And, and, mm -hmm. and if more people actually did things like that, you know, something useful, something. And she came out and, and she came out openly and supported uh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, she yes, did. Yes, yes, yeah, among other things. Mm -hmm. No, I know she did. She's yes. Dolly Parton is 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 a top top woman. Apart from being a terrific songwriter, three thousand published songs or something ridiculous. I mean, one of my favorites. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I mean, mm. I've seen her. I've seen her live. I was like, oh, Dolly Parton. I mean, you know, she's amazing. I think she's incredible. But yeah, she supported Black Lives Matter. She she helped pay for the Moderna vaccine. That's what people of power and influence should be doing. That sort of thing, not just like trying to get more money for themselves. Mm. Or whatever. That's she's. I have enormous respect for Dolly Parton. Enormous and endless respect as a songwriter, as an artist. Remember, she refused to and let, a human being and a human being. But she mm. refused to let Elvis. Elvis wanted to record some of her songs, and she wouldn't uh, let. Yes, yeah, she Elvis wanted the publishing. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't going to have it. She right. wasn't having it, so he didn't. He didn't yeah. record her song because she wouldn't let him right. have the publishing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. good for. I think it's. Life. I will yes. always. I think it's. I will always love you. And then what's her name? Sang it over, and Dali kept the publishing, and then she said the money was just rolling in, rolling. Yeah, in. yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. However, <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I mean, the great character, first... great character, very dignified. Oh, I, I, I. And not too many scandals over the years. No, she's. I think she's. What you see is what you get, largely, isn't it? She's mm. wonderful. I think she's mm. wonderful, and that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of role model I have. I that's who, you know that's who. If I have a role model, it's I want to be like that. I want to be somebody like that who who actually works at her craft and mm -hmm. and then also, you know, you, anything else that she can do, she does. Anything else useful, she is a useful human being. Mm -hmm. You know, wonderful. Anyway, yeah. Thank so, you for your time. Not at all, and and I, I'm sorry that I've talked so much because oh no, that's the whole idea though. Kind of what I've known to get, for to get you because I know your reservoir of uh, knowledge. <sighs> yeah, but also yes. I talk. I am just garrulous, though. That's also true. Maybe if I listen back, uh, I didn't observe any of that. I'm so focused on listening to what you're saying, and like a oh, right. Some, somebody I know, Bren. Uh, we saw we saw Dolly at Glastonbury. Yes, Bren, and so did I. That's uh, that's where we all saw her. Sorry, just somebody. I do, I've just realised that you can read these things. Although oh I yes, I, I I usually hardly do because I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, because I well also I haven't got my glasses on, so I can't actually see them. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yes. Well, Something we moved. thank you again. Okay. Well, thank you, Junior. With yes, that, well, uh, yes. Just want to do the introduction. This is the thirteenth edition of the episode of History of LSK. A one-on-one -on -one session, and tonight's guest was. A British singer, songwriter, musician, DJ, beloved two-town icon, Rhoda Dakar, showing off her <laughs> Union Jack T-shirt, Misfit T-shirt. A fantastic, uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview.
Well, lovely to talk to you, Julia. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. And I just right. want to tell, uh, yes, tell our viewers that on the 25th, uh, very special Derek Morgan, the King of Scare, they had a massive larger-than-life celebration for Derek yesterday. You had the likes of Derek Morgan, I'm sorry, Jimmy Cliff, Barry's Hammond, just about all the legends, Marley's sons. They had a concert for him online, and I think it's still available, free. Ah, so yeah, so his birthday was on the 27th, and the official celebration was yesterday. Massive, massive. Yeah. Trade your call, the list goes on and on and on. And oh, then on the, uh, May the 6th, we have the Maytones, Money Worries, that song that appeared on one of reggae's biggest uh, motion picture rockers. Yeah. Vernon Mayton is Jamaican migrant, musical migrant. He lives in Montreal. We'll be talking to him. I've, and covered, then, uh, I've covered that tune, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'll define it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Sorry. No, man. I, I, vital information. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Have you actually met Vernon? No. No. Oh, oh I, I mean, it would be a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's driven by humility. I kid Which you not. Which yes. is important. Oh, yes, man. Yeah, yeah I'm telling you, see him anywhere. You can approach him, very approachable. Yeah, okay. And then on Thursday, the 25th, now, uh, Thursday, we have Jesse Wagner of the Agrolites. He's domestically grown and harvested. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're bringing international and homegrown artists together. No, I, lo I love Jesse. Um, yeah, great. You have met great. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when, when, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, when the Agrolites came to London, like, uh -huh. I, I, I always go and see them. Yeah, right. nice. yeah, yeah. So I know Jesse quite well. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but like, because um, Roger, you know, like Reggae Rog, who's like the best. I mean, I love his keyboards. So, like, so I mean, you know, if if true should be told, he is really up there. I I saw him. I said, yeah. is, this, is this a reincarnation of Jackie Me Too? I, I, I keep this a secret. I used to go to concert just to watch him on the keys. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I've, I, he, he might be appearing on something that I've done. He's very kindly. Um, I heard. I, I have some yeah, interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's going to remain there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. No, no. No, Roger. <laughs> Reggie Rog. Reggie yes, Rog. Uh -huh. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Mm -hmm. But Jesse the Barber. Yes. Come, <laughs> <the barber>. <laughs> <laughs> so every once in a while you can fling out that Jamaican lingua man. <laughs> me? Oh no, I no, I'm terrible. No, I my yeah, my Jamaican yeah. accent is laughable, actually. It's laughable. Yeah. No, my son can do it. My son can do a fair impression, but I'm my Jamaican accent is pitiful. <laughs> it's pitiful. Because yeah. my dad didn't talk like that, so I had to learn it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, but growing up, growing up in Brixton, it wasn't hard. Well, it wasn't hard. Quite, it wasn't hard. Quite a few. Uh, the times I've been there, like, I, w I used to visit there in the 70s, 80s, yeah, quite uh -huh. a few record shops and Jamaican restaurants yeah. in the Brixton area. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I was, it, wasn't, it wasn't really allowed at home. Right. <laughs> I couldn't be talking like that at home. No, like, I know the Jamaican middle class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, when dad, come... <laughs> my, my dad's post Jamaican, you see. You didn't get yes, to man. home. Yes, <laughs> man. The Queen's language. <laughs> well, yes. Ro uh, yes. Yes. Rhoda. Anyway, Junior, I you bow need in to reverence. go home. Bow in reverence. Thanks for your time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Once Thank again. Thank you very much. Yes, Rhoda. Bye-bye, sir.
Bye bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. What do I press now? Does press it? Press the what? The, press X. the X. Oh, right.